constantly hear people that are Calvinists harp on this. God sovereign, God sovereign, God sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. They just keep repeating it. And they repeat it so much, you start to think it's a biblical truth. of Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus said, I can't, I'm dead. <laughs> That's not what he did. Lazarus came out. So you mean to tell me a dead person can respond to the command of Christ? take lessons from Judas White and Jeff Durbin. It shows in this kind of sequential format and Do you really believe that it parallels the method of exegesis that we utilize to demonstrate those other things? Um, no. Some new Calvinists, even pastors, very openly smoke pipes and cigars just as they drink beer and wine. Even Jesus cannot override your unbelief. You need to realize that he's gone from predeterminism. Now he's speaking of some kind of middle knowledge that God now has to... I deny and categorically deny middle knowledge. And don't uh, beg the question that would demand me to force you to e embrace it. You're not always talking about necessarily God choosing something for no apparent reason, but you're choosing that meat because it's a favorable meat. There's a reason to have the choice of that meat. Bunker deep beneath the faculty cafeteria in New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Safe from all those moderate Calvinists, Dave Hunt fans, and those who have read and reread George Bryson's book. We are Radio Free Geneva, broadcasting the truth about God's freedom to save for his own eternal glory. And greetings and welcome to the dividing line. It is uh yes, getting very close to uh, it's it's not just looking a lot like Christmas. It even feels a lot like Christmas here in Phoenix. It's been nice and nice and cold since I got back. It's good to be back in the studio, though I must admit um, I really enjoy doing the um, the program on the road. Enjoy doing the driving line, getting better and better at that. Uh, haven't crashed <laughs> in the process. Uh, wearing what might be my most multicolored uh, Kuji. Uh, at all. I'm not sure that I have any others that can rival this particular one. So I figure that's good uh, as we are this close to uh, this close to the uh, the Christmas holiday. And uh, look, I, if you're smart, you're not watching what's going on with the celebration of the profaning of marriage uh, at the White House and uh, drag queens and all the rest of the uh, let's see if we can make Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah 
look really, really, really moral and upstanding um, stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. It It is, as I've said, it is, it, it is, um, you sign that thing and you're saying to God, please destroy us, please. Um, you know, you don't want to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, just, you, you're going to have to wipe us out. Um, that's, that's what we're looking at. But you don't want to be watching that. Anyways, we'll probably talk about that some other time. But uh, instead today, we're going to be doing an edition of Radio Free Geneva. As you just heard, I have to sadly report that it took Rich about 20 minutes to find the um, theme for Radio Free Geneva. Uh, he claims, as always, as as always, it's the computer's fault. And I think that's why Rich continues to stay in the Windows world, is so that he can always say, it's the computer's fault. Um, you know, ever since Windows Vista, which it just had a mind of its own, it would just do its own thing. It do was really artificial stupidity. Huh? Yeah, well, you know, ever since then, uh, you know, uh, I've moved on to more stable platforms and he just keeps using windows. So what can you, what can you say? Um, (laughs) anyway, anyway, um, good to be back. Uh, we'll be here till late, late January. Uh, there's, there's lots of stuff going on right now as far as, uh, debates, uh, coming up, uh, at the beginning of, well, early, the first half of next year. And uh, possibilities uh, abound, shall we say. So we will obviously keep you uh, apprised of the situation as things develop. But the next trip will be, like I said, either very late January, very early February uh, through uh, South Texas, Louisiana, up into Tennessee, and then back again. And then we've got um, April. We'll be up in Utah, and then uh, May is uh, back to Texas again, and so we will we will see how all that ends up uh, developing um, as as time passes by. So for Radio Free Geneva today, I was uh, I wasn't sent. Um, evidently, someone sent Rich um, a link to a response to, I, I'm not sure if this was one of the Apologia shorts or just what. You have the microphone up. No, I tripped over this on Twitter this morning. Oh. That they were promoting it, and so it's like, okay. I figured I'd just share it, and that's how I tripped over it. It was, oh, okay. you know, one of those Twitter things. So Rich put this in our uh, chat channel, and... Uh, I started listening to it, and once again, you have uh, an individual who claims to be a former Calvinist wanting to provide a response to, as I said, I think um, Apologia Studios does these Apologia Studio shorts where they take a just a segment from a, a sermon or something like that and, and throw it out there. And it was a portion of a sermon that I preached at Apologia Church at some point in the not-too-distant past. Um, 
And it was obviously in the doctrine of election. And what I was dealing with uh, was the attitude and the perspectives of those who reject the biblical doctrine of election. Now, obviously, um, we have, over the past many decades, spent a tremendous amount of time going in-depth, exegetically, using the same hermeneutical principles that we use to defend the deity of Christ and the resurrection and uh, those things. Um, In other words, seeking consistency in establishing God's uh, divine decree, his uh, sovereign election and uh, predestination and the existence of the elect, as well as biblically looking at the deadness of man and sin, man's inability to do what is pleasing in God's sight, which is directly stated in the text of Scripture. And all of these things, of course, stand inalterably opposed to all of the man-centered systems, the synergistic systems that are out there, uh, including your standard Arminianism, not necessarily uh, Arminius's views from long ago, but modern-day Arminianism, um, as well as the... uh, the infant child on the block being called provisionism, which is nothing but synergistic Arminianism uh, with a little bit of a, I don't know, it seems like a Baptist twist to it. And um, so evidently um, someone uh, shared, someone recorded a video. Uh, what, what, I'm sorry. It was something, something at, at wrath and grace, or it wasn't, Wrath and Grace, it was uh, something along those lines. Uh, wrath was the last word. Uh, that, that, that's what it was. Um, and uh, so I, I, happened, I happened, you know, like I said, just got home. And so I happened to be sitting at a uh, Grace, Mercy, Wrath. Okay. Uh, I happened to be sitting at a... Um, car care facility, uh, getting the oil changed on um, on our new pole vehicle, which we call Doggy, and um, you know, it, uh, I've I have actually been told that if we really take really 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 good care of this engine and transmission, we could get half a million miles out of this thing. Um, and uh, so, all right. It's time for an oil change. I think, if I'm recalling correctly, I think that, remember the brown bomb? Yeah, he laughs. The the car whose heater never turned off. Yeah, that's true. Could it did, not turn it off in July, the it, heater ran. Hey, but that really <laughs> helped keep the engine temperature down. You got to understand. That was... That was that was a function of helping the radiator. Because <laughs> that poor car wasn't designed for Arizona. Um, <laughs> I had a 1972 Buick LeSabre. It was a beat-up old car that I drove to high school. And, it, and then I gave it to your roommate, who drove it into the ground, pretty much. Um, anyway... Uh, I think that took four quarts of oil. 
I think it took four quarts of oil. I think it was four. Anyways, this beastie, 10 quarts of oil. 10 quarts of oil uh, for this thing. So we were doing, you know, the oil filter and we did fuel filter, air filter. We did a bunch of stuff because, you know, we don't know how this vehicle has been dealt with. Anyways, it took a long time. (laughs) It was, I was there much longer than I anticipated. And so that's when I, that's when Rich posted this, uh, this link. And so I'm sitting there in the waiting room and I can guarantee you the stuff that at least, well, I'll, I'll take, take this back. At least the one thing they had on the television was semi-interesting. It was a guy who is the doppelganger of Leighton Flowers. I mean, honestly, he, he, I, was gonna, I, I stood there with my camera on. I was going to take a picture of the TV and say, I didn't know Leighton Flowers was now doing this as a side gig. But um, it was about uh, German automotive racing and stuff. It was actually interesting. Anyway, I um, I fired this up and started listening to it, and I thought, you know what? Uh, I get two major complaints all the time when I travel. One, you're mean to rich, okay? Which, again, is just, it is. it has the same level of truth content as all the stuff Twitter was putting out about COVID and 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 the elections and all that stuff until Elon Musk bought it and exposed all of that. That's that's how much truth content that has to it. Um, and uh, then um, the other one was we don't do enough radio free Geneva's. Uh, that's the other other complaint that we get. So I thought, all right, it's almost the end of 2022. Let's let's fire up the uh, the thing, and then I get here and find out that Rich has lost it. It's like, okay, but we we found it. We found, we think that's the most recent one. That sounded like the most recent one to me. So it was the most recent. One. So, um, but again, he he can he blamed the computer for that. All right, so let's play the section of the sermon that uh, that he's responding to, and I I don't know why, but instead of instead of um, maximizing the screen or something he the guy just like when he would put scripture verses up it was so small you couldn't read anything and instead of maximizing the video it's just a small little window and it was a little weird along those lines but anyway um so the sound's not not the best so we'll we'll see how it goes but and i am going to pick up the speed a little bit because we do need to get done today (laughs) so what Oh, you know what? I we didn't do that, did we? Um, and I'm gonna guess it's that, and and hope that it works. Let's 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 see. An election doesn't fit with that idea. I want a God who's trying his best to save everyone. That sounds good, doesn't it? Play along. <laughs> Well, you don't have to go that far. It was a rhetorical question. Really, it was. Got some literalists in here. No. It sounds good. It doesn't make any sense biblically or logically. Do you really want a God who's doing the best he can, but he's going to fail over and over and over again? I mean, if he really is trying to save every person equally, then doesn't that mean in, in, in heaven 
that God's going to be extremely disappointed with his results? I mean, think about it. That would basically mean God's going to have to be standing on the parapets of hell, going, oh, I'm so sorry. I tried. I tried my best. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we did our absolute best for you. Do you see that picture in Revelation anywhere? I don't see that picture in Revelation anywhere. I hear about God's justice, and I hear about the recognition of the fact he's accomplishing his purposes, but I, I don't get the idea that God is going to be eternally bummed at how many people he wasn't able to get saved. Not with the New Testament teaches. Now, what's going to be interesting, and I, it's toward the end, well, actually he says it a couple times, he, uh, our interlocutor identifies this as emotionalism, as if the substance of this was the substance of my sermon. It was a clip in which I am dealing with a fundamental issue, and that is you have to answer the question, is God trying to save? Now, it seems that this young provisionist is saying, um, no, God is not trying to save at all. He is simply making salvation possible and completely leaving it up to us, which raises all sorts of serious questions. So, salvation is of the Lord. He is to be uh, worshipped and praised for all of its accomplishment and everything else, but he's not trying to save anyone. His whole, his whole intention and purpose was simply to make a system available and then just leave it up to us, evidently, seems to be the idea. So I'm just, I'm dealing with the issue of people who say that God is trying to save everyone. The the vast majority of synergists do believe God attempts to bring about human salvation. Um, that, That this is something that God expends energy to do. Now, if, if this guy's position actually is, nope, God doesn't try to save one person more than another. Because it's, once you get down to that level, then the only people who are saved are the people who are better than you. Oh, the choice meets. Yeah, that's how it works, <laughs> I guess. Um, but that's what I was dealing with. And the response from an individual who claims to have been a Calvinist does not seem to even recognize what the real issues are. And that's that's one of the things that so often on Radio Free Geneva over the decades, when we have responded to people who claim to have been reformed at some point, you you just have to go, uh, okay, look, you can you can put in a sermon something that sounds Calvinistic, okay? But there's there's more to being reformed than having once read Romans 9 out loud, okay? Um, it, 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 and it's more than just simply professing to hold the five points. If you don't see how that impacts everything else, if you don't see how that impacts worldview and worship and e- ecclesiology and everything, you really weren't reformed. Um, and I, again, I'm... I have no interest in the Reformed Club, the Reformed label. There's a lot of people in the Reformed Club that are jerks. Uh, There's a lot of people in the Reformed Club that don't want me in the Reformed Club to begin with, and I don't care. I 
there was a day when I was much younger when I would have. I do not care any longer at all. I really, really don't. Um, so be it as it may, uh, let's let's jump into it here because there were specific texts eventually that were that were cited, and I want to deal with those. If you have been, if you're an algo, if you are a long time listener to Radio Free Geneva, there is absolutely positively nothing new <laughs> in this presentation or in the text that are cited. Believe it or not, not Matthew 23, 37, 2 Peter 3, 9 are going to be cited yet again. And sometimes, you know, if you've listened, like I said, for decades, you go, well, that's the 137th time you've dealt with that verse. And that's true. But we have a lot of new listeners. And they listen, people listen for all sorts of different reasons. And so, yeah, when you're dealing with certain areas, there we go. Um, oh, I made the mistake of looking at Twitter. So before I, before I play the first section, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Joe Biden, today I signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law. We are reaffirming a fundamental truth, reaffirming something that's never been believed in the history of the United States, that every president through Barack Obama rejected, that no founder of this nation would have ever even thought of. We are reaffirming. This, this regime This regime makes, makes Pravda blush at its willingness to lie through its teeth. Love is love. Now, there is the stupidest, most airheaded, idiotic, immoral, amoral statement we hear. Love is love. They don't believe it. They don't believe it for a second. Because the application would be pure absurdity. If you really believe love is love, then you should make it legal for a woman to marry an orangutan. Or um, a robot. Right? Because love is love. That you, you have leaders who are absolutely morally and intellectually bankrupt. They have no idea what they're babbling about. They're fiddling while Rome's burning. And Americans should have the right to marry the person they love. Yeah, okay. Um, so there you go. That just popped up on my screen and turned my stomach and... Again, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> apologies, uh, may be coming your direction. I, I, have, I have no earthly idea. All right, let's get back to our topic here. Sorry about that. And if this is what God's word revealed, I mean, I was a Calvinist. I, always, I feel like I always have to say this for the Calvinists who are listening to this. I was a Calvinist for 20 years. When I went to the scripture and I was challenged on my views in Calvinism, if I had studied the scripture— and I had come up with Calvinism, I would still be a Calvin. Um, I didn't move away from the Calvinist doctrines because I wanted to. Uh, I wanted my desire, my, my utmost desire is to know God truly as he's, been, as he's been revealed through his word. And that usually is a shot that's taken at people who are non-Calvinists. Well, you just, you just don't you know, listen to God's word. You, don't, you have a very low view of scripture. Well, no, I'm, uh, I have a very high view of scripture. I have a very high view of God. And that's actually what led me out of Calvinism is looking at answers to some of these questions and seeing uh, that the Bible doesn't teach Calvinism. So 20 years as a Calvinist. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know who this individual is. I honestly don't even know the person's name. 
Um, again, when you're on a phone at a, well, this wasn't auto dealership. It was an auto repair facility. But anyways, when, when all you've got is your phone and you didn't get your phone charged up last night. And so you're, you're you know, um, I don't even know who the gentleman is. So there, there's absolutely nothing personal here at all on my part. Um, but as we listen to the commentary provided on biblical texts, ask yourself a question. Would anyone who was in a reformed church where you had the whole counsel of God being preached, where you had, you know, um, well, let me put it this way. I do the catechism question as a part of our worship service at Apologia Church when I'm there. And just in the past three questions, and, and really almost just in the current question that I think we're still on, unless they change it while I was gone, um, we have already covered almost all of the claims and assertions he's going to be making. So I don't know how you can spend 20 years um, as a self-consciously Reformed Christian, knowing what you believe, reading Reformed authors, listening to Reformed teaching, and not have answers to the objections that this, this gentleman is going to be raising. I, I don't know how it's possible. So the, the definitions that people use... I was once a Calvinist. I've met people who, who thought that just because they said they believed in eternal security, that made them, made them a Calvinist. And I can assure you, it does not. Um, so we'll, we'll look at the statements, and you can judge for yourself um, whether, once again, we have a situation where it's individuals who um, have really just been given a bad definition of what reformed means. Then again, these days, um, that could, that, that's very understandable. <laughs> it really is very understandable. So let's do that. Let's look at these verses here and let's go through this and let's paint a picture of what the Bible says about salvation and what the Bible says about uh, what the judgment will be on the day of judgment. Um, no, I don't think, I agree with Dr. White. I don't think God's going to be over the pits of hell going, oh, you know, being bummed eternally. No, I, I think. the. So I'm taking it from what he's saying is that God is not attempting to save each and every individual equally. He is only intentionally providing a way. Well, I was going to say for each individual equally, but that's historically not the case. It's not, it's not been historically the case in the New Testament era as well. I mean, uh, look at the number of people who lived in the Americas prior to any kind of Christian um, missionary work here. So even in the New Testament age, that, that wouldn't work. So you still have to deal, you know, you know unless, unless you deny to God foreknowledge, which... <laughs> I think provisionism contains within its own DNA um, that kind of uh, that kind of perspective because it just fits. How many times have I said, you know, open theism and provisionism fit hand in glove? Um, unless you deny to God 
knowledge of future events, you still have to answer the question, why did he create as he created, knowing that he would know what the outcome was going to be? And there are only a certain number of answers to that, that particular question that are, that are even, they can even laughably pretend to be biblical. I believe the Bible teaches that there will be no excuses on the day of judgment, that God's glory uh, reigns in the universe. Every bite of every food that you put in your mouth as the sensation of pleasure or disgust shoots through your body, that it radiates God's glory and says there is a God, and that there will be no excuse on the day of judgment for anybody who has turned their back on and forsaken God. And so, yeah. Just happened to just want to comment here. No Reformed person would have any argument that there will be any excuses or anything um, on the final day. I, I think that'll be one of the things that we see in eternity is all the grace and mercy that God did have on people, um, calling them uh, to repent and follow him. Okay. So what was the grace and mercy shown? Um, okay. I, I live in Arizona. And we have a very large Native American population. And they've been here for a long, long time. What was, what was the grace and mercy shown to them in the sense of light of the gospel prior to the arrival of the first missionaries in this, in this area? Um, was was God, if you define the proper response to God as a humble heart and that anyone who's humble can cry out to God and out of their humility, God will respond to them, does that mean there were no humble American Indians? Or did God not know they're going to be here? Or is it just simply the best God could do? These are... These all take us back to the, the reality that when you talk about, most of the time when we discuss these issues, we're talking at the human level of experience, history, rather than at the divine level of intentionality and purpose. Because the only way you can be up here is with Scripture, right? You can't, there's, you can't just speculate about things like that. You can't just guess about it. You need to have divine revelation to be able to answer those questions. And so that's where a lot of this stuff ends up sticking. All right, so let's get into these verses here. And we're going to start in the Old Testament and work our way up. And so in Second Chronicles 7, 14, it says, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal and will heal their land. So here we see God who is willing to heal, willing to forgive, uh, willing to uh, hear the cries of those who have, who are humble, who are praying and seeking his face. Okay. So I would assume, and again, if the gentleman was actually reformed, then he would know that all of us who are reformed are sitting here going, yes, and this is relevant how? Because the only way this could be relevant, aside from the fact that it was he's talking to a covenantal people at that point, and boy, that verse is misused for all sorts of other people too. I get it. 
But that aside, the reality is um, that there is a, as is always the case, an unspoken assumption that is being read into the use of the text. And they don't want to come straight out and say it. That's when Leighton gets in trouble all the time because he will come straight out and say it. And when he says it openly and clearly, everybody goes, that's, that's Pelagianism, Patrick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it is. Um, what, he's, what he's presupposing here is that every, is that all natural men have the capacity and power to be humble enough to call upon the Lord. That the rebel sinner can change his heart of stone into a heart of flesh, because only a heart of flesh can be humble, right? So the heart of stone can choose to become a heart of flesh, and in humility, call upon the Lord. That's, that's the assumption that is being made. Well, well it must be, because it says right here, um, and the Reformed person goes, yeah, but since God ordains both the ends and the means, the means of getting to his ends is using warnings, exhortations, pleadings. They only become effective through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God, but he chooses to use those things. So we don't have any problem with this at all. And again, if you're Reformed, you already knew that. So if you're using texts that assume argumentation you're not even providing, and then you don't even recognize that, well, for 20 years, I, I, I heard preaching that said all these things, and I've just forgotten all of it now, or something like that. How do you explain that? Unless the definition of what it means to be Reformed is extremely elastic, um, and a lot of stuff that isn't Reformed is being described as being Reformed. Uh, this next verse in Romans ten twenty one says, but as for Israel, he says, I have spread out my hands all day long to a disobedient and obstinate people. And um, I think in the ESV, it says that my hand was uh, outstretched, like a hand reaching out to people. And this comes from, uh, this comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 65, verse two. Uh, this is the quote from that Old Testament. So this is an Old Testament, uh, God saying in the Old Testament, I, my hand is reached out to you. Take it. Repent. Turn. Salvation. Today is the day of salvation for you. So, yeah, we have a New Testament. We have Paul uh, bringing an Old Testament verse into the New Testament in Romans chapter 10, verse 21. Again, we go, yeah. God showed tremendous patience toward the people of Israel. Um, he sends prophets and apostles. But again, God also had a purpose in hardening Israel, did he not? And so what's happening is you, you look at the use of means, exhortation, pleading, warning passages, and then you create an unbiblical anthropology on the basis of those, rather than the clear text of Scripture. No one is able to come to me unless... No one is able to do good. There is none who seeks after God. Uh, you know, the clear uh, stuff in passages about salvation, specifically. And you just put them aside because they're, that's too hard. Because if man is a slave to sin, 
then the sun must set you free. And that means the sun is the one who chooses who's going to be set free because it's the sun who reveals the father to those whom he wills. So the, the one thing you got to avoid is that it's the will of God that determines this because it has to be the will of man. And so you set all that aside and then you take these means that God has given and you build up an anthropology, leaving aside the other stuff. And if you've ever listened to provisionist leaders try to deal with those texts, you see exactly what I mean. And, and that's, how you, that's how you create your system. What did you just do? Yes, you did. It was loud enough for me to hear it in here. I thought that's, you know, here I am. See, again, you folks don't see what goes on during the, you only see this side of the camera. And so I, it took me a second to figure it out. But when I was talking about how they respond, he, he goes, run away from, from uh, Monty Python. And, you know, that's funny. But I had to interpret that in, in the midst of my trying to speak to you all. So, you, you know, everybody who comes up to me, I mean, I literally had somebody on this last trip go, was disappointed that you weren't there. And I, I said, I'm not disappointed that he's not here at all. Because if you put the two of us in a 30-foot RV, um, it, would be, it would be catastrophic. It really, no, that's not going not gonna to work. And then we have Matthew twenty three thirty seven, and this is Jesus. Uh, this oh, is oh, Jesus. Now, now listen. We look. All our old time listeners, you're sitting there going, "I wonder if he's going to quote it correctly," <laughs> because that's the big thing. If you've been listening to this program for decades and decades, you know we've dealt with Matthew twenty three thirty seven over and over and over again. Uh, it's part of the big three chapter in Potter's Freedom, and da 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 da, and so. What happens is the vast majority of people, even reformed people, miscite the text. They say, they say, how often would I have gathered you, but you were not willing. But that's not what it says. He almost misquotes it. It's clearly in front of him as it's, it's accurate. But listen, and he'll say you before then going, you, your chicks. Because that's the whole point of Matthew 23, 37. This isn't a text about salvation. This is a text about judgment. It's judgment on the Jewish leaders. It's judgment on the Jewish leaders for standing in the way with their traditions and their uh, selfishness and everything else. And so that, that's all it's about. It's not even talking about whether you're willing to be saved or not willing to be saved. All that's completely outside the context of Matthew 23, 37. Um. And so when it says, uh, how often would I have gathered your children, your chicks, your children under my wing? Um, that's, that doesn't fit the narrative. The, 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 mind is, the mind is saying, how often would I have gathered you, but you weren't willing? So listen, listen to how it functions, even in the reading of the text. And he goes, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to, to her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. So here we see God's desire to save and man's unwillingness to be saved. So there it is. So that, that, that's not what Matthew 23, 37 is about. Clearly he hasn't read the Potter's Freedom. Uh, doesn't even, and, and, when, and when people present it like this, I can just tell they've never seriously listened to the side. 
even though they claim to have been on the other side for 20 years. And, and, and that just leaves me going, because if, if I were to leave a group and then talk about what I believed back when I was part of a group, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you have to be honest about where you were, you know, um, though I'm, I've dealt with enough converts to all sorts of different perspectives to know. And the fact of the matter is I've seen converts to quote unquote Calvinism that scared me to death in their cage stage because they weren't accurately representing where they had been before either. And so it's, it's the convert thing. Uh, you know, I do get that, but still get just, and that's all you got in Matthew 23, 37, no attempt to deal with any counter argumentation. It's just make the assertion, ignore the context, throw it out there. And it, and it works. Acts seventeen twenty seven that they would seek God. If perhaps they might feel around for him and find him though. He is not far from each one of us. God is not far from us. He is, but a, Humbled prayer away from you right now today. If you're hearing this message, today is the day of salvation. Repent and turn to him. Cry out to him for forgiveness and mercy. Well, again, um, Acts 17 is focused upon something else. Um, again, there's a bunch of presuppositions being, you know, the idea of, of humility, uh, the ability to have humility. You're dealing with the very arrogant uh, Athenian philosophers in Acts chapter 17. And there's a lot more going on that is not even uh, addressed. And so you end up just reading a whole bucket load of synergistic, semi-Pelagian human capacity ideas um, into what is really just simply Paul's demonstration of their false religiosity in having an altar to the unknown God. And yet the true God has revealed himself in creation and they are suppressing that knowledge and will suppress that knowledge. Cause at the end, he's going to say, God's going to judge the earth by a man whom he has appointed. And he's provided evidence to all by raising him from the dead. And as soon as he says, raising him from the dead, Whoa, that's, that's too much for us. We're, we're out of here. We're out of here. We're done. Uh, that's just too silly for us. So we're not talking about humble people here or anything else. And he's missed the point of what what's actually going on. John um, chapter three. Now, this is actually talking about the judgment. So what's going to happen on the judgment day uh, when the world is judged by God and there is a proclamation of guilt are innocent? Um, this is what the judgment will be on that day. And this is a judgment. This is John chapter three, verses 19 to 21. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. And so that is the judgment that the light of God's glory is revealed through the heavens. The light of the, the the light, Jesus, is revealed in this world. And every time you share the gospel with someone, that's what you're doing. And this is why people get really angry at Christians. Uh, and it's 
They don't want their deeds brought from the darkness. They want to live in the darkness with their deeds. And that will be on the day of judgment, uh, what sends people into an eternal separation from God. Not that God was lacking or not that God was insufficient, not that God tried. God did make a way for salvation. There was no trying. It is there. It is open. Not to catch that. Because I keep seeing this distinction. Um, God didn't try. He accomplished a way of salvation. So it almost seems to me, and, and, you know, I only have this one video to go off of, okay? So I can only deal with what it's saying. But it almost sounds to me like what he's saying is God was absolutely positively successful in making salvation possible. And I, I hope everyone understands there is a universe of difference between God actually being Savior. You know, the, the glorification of God, because the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, actually save a specific people and save them perfectly. John 6.39, salvation. Romans 8.28 and following, salvation. Uh, Ephesians 1, salvation. That's not simply making a plan available or possible. Uh, it's, not just pro, it's not just provision. It's accomplishment. Huge difference between the two. Huge, huge difference between the two. That, that needs to be recognized. For all who would find it and all who would seek it and all who would uh, enter into a relationship with God the Father. All who would seek it. There is no God seeker. Which one is it? There is no seeker after God. That's scripture. This young man is talking about people who seek God. Because provisionism doesn't have a biblical anthropology. Doesn't have a biblical doctrine of sin. Uh, through uh, God the Son, um, born again through the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, given a new heart to walk in, in obedience to God. Given a new heart, why? Why do you need a new heart? If, if, because you're saying, you're saying you're given a new heart as a result of humbly asking. So you're saying the heart of stone can have the level of humility that is necessary for repentance and faith. So why do you need a new heart? I don't know. I, I, I would think that this is the basic stuff that you talk about in Sunday schools and stuff like that in Reformed churches. And if you've been in the church for 20 years, you probably should have thought of these things. Don't you think? I think that's probably. And so this is always a verse that even when I was a Calvinist, uh, this was a verse that I really struggled with um, because um, you have to redefine the word all here. You, a Calvinist cannot have all mean all in certain situations. And the thing about that is, is there are times where all doesn't really mean all. And so uh, the question is, is, is the application for all uh, meant to be all? Like, does God work all things out? Or when God said, or when uh, Peter writes that uh, this Second Peter three nine, uh, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So the all is defined by you, right? So who is Peter talking to? You have to assume every person, every human being that's ever existed or ever will exist. Can you demonstrate that from the context? Because I can demonstrate from the context who Peter's talking to. 
Okay, Peter has a, specifically addresses at the beginning of the epistle to the elect. Okay, so he's addressing God's elect, and God will not allow any of the elect to perish. That's that's clear, but you are reading it, and and you're not alone. <laughs> you know, you you hear people around you doing it, and so you just start picking it up. And you just run with it, but that's not how we do the deity of Christ. That's not how we do the resurrection. That's not how we do justification by faith. That, that, that's not how we do any of these things, except in this one subject. And then we use a different methodology of interpretation. It's how it works. And then that verse, and then the verse that led me out. Of, so when I say... I- okay, so here we go. I, I love when someone says, led me out. <laughs> you know? People talk about being let out of Roman Catholicism while being let out of the dreaded beliefs of Chironism. Here we go. This is this must be a killer verse. I, I may not I may not have any response to this. Let out of Calvinism. When I stopped believing Calvinism is when I uh, realized that inability is not something that's biblically taught. Inability is not something that's biblically taught. So when Jesus says no man is able, which is that means no man every man is inable. Oh, okay. That's John 6.44. And then John 6.65 repeats the same thing. And Romans chapter 8 says, no one has the ability to submit to God's law, to do what is pleasing to God. And you've got John chapter 8 that continues that whole theme. Why can't you not hear my words? Because you don't belong to God. That's inability. Inability, inability, inability. All through the... And in fact, how many examples of inability do you get in the catena of passages in Romans chapter 3, which is Paul's summary statement of the sinfulness of man before he finally gets to justification by faith. Um, Again, uh, you either have a biblical anthropology that recognizes the deadness of man's sin, or you're with all the religions of men, because that's where the religions of men are. And so if you, if you don't accept what Scripture says about God's absolute sovereignty and decree, and you don't accept what it says about man's uh, fallenness and his slavery to sin, um, yeah, you're going to come up with all sorts of interesting, strange systems. They can be simple. They can be very complex and sacramental. Uh, but you'll come up with something. Uh, that man is not unable to respond to God's promises, and that man is... Uh, does have the ability to respond to God. Of course he does. It's always in rebellion, but he responds to God. No one's, no one's ever says man does not respond to God. Man's, what we say is man is enable of responding to God in repentance and faith. Man always responds to God in rebellion, suppression. That's, that's the point of Romans 1. The gospel and salvation. And so... And the, the final verse for me that really broke the camel's back, the Calvinistic camel's back, was this in Romans chapter 2 where it says, But do you suppose this, you foolish person, who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubborn hearts, your unrepented hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation 
of the righteous judgment of God. And so here we have what I think sums up almost everything that uh, we've talked about in this video so far. You've got God's kindness that's meant to lead people to repentance, but because of their stubborn hearts and their unrepentance hearts, they're, instead of repenting and turning to God, they are refusing to do that and storing up wrath for themselves on that day of judgment when the, the judgment of God will come out and say, "My, the light had entered the world, but you loved your evil deeds and you ran away from the light. Instead of coming to the light to expose your evil deeds and to be born again and to enter into a relationship with God through the way that he made, which is Christ on the cross. So, it almost it almost strikes me that that the young man is unaware of what Romans chapter two is about. It, it almost strikes me that he doesn't see that Romans chapter one universal sinfulness, Romans chapter two the Jews are going go get them Paul. Yep, that's what we believe. You're just talking about the Gentiles, and Paul's going, uh, nope, I'm including you too. And just because you possess the law doesn't mean that you're doers of the law. So that in chapter three he can then say. We've concluded that all are under sin, so that all the mouths may be closed, and there's one way of peace with God, faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it almost seems like he's not aware of what Romans 2 is up to um, and where it's going, but notice, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Uh, it sounds like you need some supernatural uh, assistance to come to repentance. I thought that anyone had the ability to pray the humble prayer and to have repentance. Why does God's kindness have to be involved? And how was God's kindness shown to us who have believed in comparison to people who've never heard today? Doesn't that mean that someone's receiving more kindness from God than someone else? And once you have any kind of inequality in the kindness of God, you either have to have a divine purpose that's being fulfilled or the cosmic wheels fall off, which is why you can't start where we're starting. You could have the foundation for answering all this if you had started with God, God's purposes, eternality, decree, uh, and then a proper biblical anthropology and then grace and everything makes perfect sense. But it really doesn't. Once you don't, once you don't start up here and you start down here with man and start trying to build your way up, you'll never get to the gracious message of the new Testament, which is why provisionism doesn't get there and can't get there. Uh, but it, it almost, I, I saw, I heard nothing in those, that commentary that gave me any reason to believe that the gentleman understands the function of Romans chapter two in Romans 1, 2, and 3, and their conclusion in Romans 3, 18, 19, Jew and Gentile, you're all, we're all, we're all, all guilty. Only one way of salvation. At the end of the day, it's not about, I get the emotional things. I get that. I understand in sermons, you're going to do that. You're going to seek to make uh, an emotional plea with the people that are listening to you. Okay. Mine was not an emotional plea. I was simply dealing with the mindset and the attitudes of individuals who say that God must be, quote-unquote, fair, uh, that he must try to save each person equally. And that's all I was doing. It, it, I'm normally not accused of being overly emotional. 
you Scotsman, you're always overly emotional. Yeah, no, not really. Um, I, I've encountered a lot of emotionalism in my life, to be sure. But no, I'm no, no. But at the end of the day, we do not want what we want. We want the God that is revealed in Scripture. We want yep. the God that, that. Is, has revealed himself through Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's the God we want to take to the world. And that's the God we want. We will worship forever. Amen. And so, yeah, I agree. I, what I want doesn't matter in this discussion. Um, you know, I have a high view of God. I don't think I'm any kind of final authority on anything. And I don't uh, pretend to be. Um, I want to look at the Word of God. I want to understand what he's, what's being said in the Word of God. And then I want my theology to be shaped and formed by the God of the Scripture. And so you can frame this discussion like uh, Dr. White did. And I could do the same thing in a sermon. Um, and sometimes um, arguments online or discussions online, they do a spiral into this, you know, emotional, you, you, you want a God who's not sovereign enough. And then the other side is you want a God who just randomly uh, picks. And so then. Now, and, and that's right toward the end. Uh, let, let, me just, let me just point out some of the most emotional stuff I've ever seen has come from provisionalists. Um, constantly, you know, haranguing at the sovereignty of God and, and that kind of, kind of stuff. So, um, but, and, and there are emotional Calvinists, but let's, let's be honest. What's the normal accusation? It's the reverse of that. You Calvinists are so cold, stone cold hearted. All you're concerned about is systematic theology and da, 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 da. It's like, okay. Which can't win for trying one way or the other, I suppose. Uh, but again, if, if, a simple illustration in a broader sermon, and by the way, the, the sermons at Apologia don't tend to be overly short. Uh, that was just a couple of minutes, and I can assure you, um, every time I've spoken on the subject of election, we've gone pretty much in depth with the text of Scripture. And emotionalism has not been the uh, mechanism that we have that we have attempted to utilize. So, so there you go. Um, I, like I said, nothing new uh, at all. And he wasn't claiming that it would be, but the, the thing that attracted my attention was if you had been reformed for 20 years, don't you think there would be significantly more substance to your criticisms? I mean, if I became a provisionist, <laughs> don't you think I would feel some compulsion to respond to what I had actually argued for all those years. Um, but that's generally not what you get when you, when you read folks that are doing this kind of, kind of response. So there you go. Um, and again, my, uh, again, if, if, if anyone is upset that didn't use the gentleman's name, I don't know what it was. I, all I had was my phone, and I threw the text in here, and as Rich will tell you, until matters of seconds prior to the program, I was busy with other things, um, specifically uh, my dear chiropractor sister um, showed up with her portable uh, table and got me put back together again, and, but as Rich will tell you, it was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> I was 
you know, ours. Yeah, go ahead. Put that microphone down there. No, no, that's the wrong direction. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, sitting for, for hours and hours and hours. And then, you know, well, look, I'll just close with this. Just, just a little inside humor from inside the, our vast ministry offices with all of Rich and I in it. Um, in all of the traveling that I've done and uh, hooking and unhooking and hooking and unhooking, I, I've lost track how many times now I've hitched up, unhooked, got to do all the stuff with the truck. In all that time, I have never thwacked my head on my fifth wheel. But someone else who will be nameless but is behind the glass over there has just about put himself unconscious at least twice um, doing this. So I know how to duck. (laughs) Okay. I know how to get the head down below. Now he's a little bit taller than I am, but that doesn't explain this (laughs) at all. (laughs) And I've been there both times. So it may have happened at other times when I wasn't there, because uh, you've gone over to the unit and measured things and stuff like that. And I don't think you would tell me if you thwacked your head again. You wouldn't tell me for love nor money. Oh, look, look at the time. <laughs> Your yep, time yep, is yep, up. Yep. There you go. <laughs> anyway. All righty. Well, uh, we... Um, we uh we we we're gonna wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to Radio Free Geneva on the dividing line. Uh we will be back uh more this week uh at some point or another. Um if this old man uh survives long enough because this Saturday I enter into my seventh actually technically not. That's actually only next year. Seventh decade. Because remember, we had that stuff about 2000, and, and it was more about computers back then. But anyways, it's that season of the year. I've got two or three grandkids with birthdays coming up. It's going to be great and fun. And uh, But we'll be back. We'll see you in, uh, in a couple of days. God bless. <laughs>